water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Urban Meyer's restaurant has stopped serving chicken fingers after guest complaints. The Jags have yet to grind one out this year, but Urban sure has. Urban tried to demonstrate to his team how to come from behind after failing to do so against the Bengals. Clemson is 3-2, and two, and life is good. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast, friends. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Ben, and this is our Boston College recap episode. Clemson emerged victorious Saturday night. A win is always good for us to be talking about here on the podcast. Ben, this is not the normal win that we're used to against an ACC Atlantic foe, especially not at Memorial Stadium. Plenty to get into here talking about that win, but there were definitely signs of improvement. And I feel like that's going to be the thesis of our show tonight is despite definitely some stuff that we're still concerned about, there there are signs of life and important aspects of this team. I'm coming out of that one positive. How about you? Yeah, listen, that was not a normal win for 2015 through 2020, right? But this is 2021. It's a completely different animal. And if you're panicking at this point, the time to panic was like in August when we heard about the offense's abysmal scrimmage um, in the first scrimmage of fall camp. Um, Maybe it was after Georgia. It was definitely after Georgia Tech. So I think uh, that should be behind us. So moving forward, what we need to do is take a look at this team, look at the weaknesses and analyze it game by game and, and see if we see any sort of improvement. And I think in this game, we did. At this point, the goal this season is to make it into the ACC championship game and win that uh, to salvage the season. I, I don't see a scenario. The only, the only way at this point that I see us making it into the playoff, which I think is really any talk of it is absurd at this point, is if Clemson continues, if, well, first we have to win out. Do we continue to get better and better game by game and start beating people by more? And we've got some good teams. There's some decent teams left on the schedule. You got Louisville, you got, you got Pitt, um, you got Wake Forest, and then you have a potential ACC championship game matchup. You know, you start beating teams by by three scores, three, four scores. Sure. Is that going to happen? I don't think so. Um, but if you do that and the rest of the college football world continues to tumble as they have, and you're really just looking at Alabama and Georgia as the two clear cut uh, uh, favorites, then, yeah, sure, there's a possibility. But I don't think that's happening. I think what we have to look out now is ACC championship game appearance and what it's going to take to get there. And what it's going to take to get there is an offense that improves game by game. And though this one was ugly still, only 19 points, I still think we saw improvement. And that's with a ton of guys. I mean, we know about all the guys out on the defense, but by the second half of this game, there was a ton of starters out on offense. Oh, yeah. And that is why I did not start this show with a little bit of like, are you kidding me? 19 points were more of the same offensive woes. It, it is getting the attrition on this team right now is getting to be ridiculous. And like, we're not making excuses for that. Like 19 points is not great, but the, 
when you start to consider the number of guys that are out at key positions, even on into the 2D, 3D, et cetera, it's kind of no wonder. And there's definitely stuff to clean up execution-wise on this team. Um, we're going to get into some of the stuff that, you know, has been said since and kind of portrayed in the media um, about this Clemson team here. But it, I, it's tough, though, also, Ben, because, like, you talk about what could be ahead, what we hope happens. Um, a lot of these injuries are starting to be season-ending for a lot of these guys. So it's like, right. it, it, as tough as it's been, is it could it really get better based on, now on the fact that we're going to start getting guys like, I love this guy, but Sage Ennis is going to get a bunch of run as a tight end on this team. Right. So like it, um, there's a lot of bright spots. There's a lot of dudes who we're really excited to see start to, you know, get, get touches and, and participate in this offense and this defense and special teams. But um, it's just a tough season all around. And like injury bug is definitely a bit Clemson. And I should point out, and I think you and I and Cody, well, I guess Cody's still on this podcast. Who knows? We haven't heard from him in like six months, but um you know, we've talked about Clemson in the past being lucky with the injury bug and championship runs, deep playoff runs, ACC championship runs really did not have too many season altering injuries from key players. A lot of that's culminating. A lot of that's catching up to us here. 2020, you had a little bit of that with Tyler Davis. You had the Notre Dame game where we had Mike Jones Jr. Skalski was out. Tyler Davis was out. TL was out with COVID. Obviously impacted that game some or a lot actually, but you know, this season is just really piling up. So um, I don't know in my mind, like, again, you, the goal that you stated should be the goal. It's going to be interesting. Like there's every game is losable outside of UConn and probably South Carolina at this point, I would put them as our like second least losable game remaining on the schedule. ACC championship game birth, like winning the Atlantic for what now, like the seventh straight year. That would be a feat. Um, obviously, winning the ACC would be a feat. There's streaks there involved that would be nice to uphold. Even in this down year, even in a year where we want a result for this team that leads to the right type of change at the program level, I still think that is a goal that every Clemson fan needs to be rooting for and pulling for. Um, that's, I guess that's all I'm going to say on that point. But uh, how are you feeling, Ben, about like the upcoming schedule like which games that at the beginning of the season that you did not feel were scaring you are, are now the most, most frightening as a fan. Well, for me, I see two teams. I see at Pitt on October 23rd and then at Wake Forest on November 20th, uh, the weekend before the South Carolina game. So I think that carries a little bit extra weight too, just from the timing of it. You don't want to be looking ahead to that South Carolina team and, um, and Thanksgiving so I just want to get back to the injury part real quick. Yeah. The reason it's different this year, um, a couple things. On the offensive side of the ball, we're actually not in that bad of shape, at least after the season has started. We had several guys on the offensive line essentially go down before the season started. But so far, I think the only person we've really lost for the year at this point is Will Taylor. Now, obviously, you have Lynn J. Dixon lose him to the portal. Will Shipley, we're told he's going to be able to come back. We'll see if that actually happens. Um, but otherwise, in this game, you know, it was Davis Allen out for targeting. It was Braden Galloway and Justin Ross out in concussion protocol. Um, and it was Will Putnam at right guard who should be able to, to come back. So the, the problem with the injuries in the offense, even when they're game by game, is that we need all hands on deck because all those hands still aren't that very good. So you need the best of them 
out there to continue to improve. On the defense side of the ball, the reason why it's, it's going to hurt so much, and, and there we do have guys out from the year from Brian Brisset, uh, Tyler Davis is going to be out for a while, not, not quite for the year, but he's going to be out for a while. Um, it, and once you start seeing those guys go down on that side of the ball, they're the ones that are carrying this team right now. So it was one thing to lose Tyler and put Rook in there next to Brisset. Okay, now you got – Brisset out and Tyler out and you have Rook and um, Trey Williams and Edinusa Rubin, who is backing them up, who I actually thought played well, but you just start, you know, you start removing these guys from the defense. You start getting into the two and three deep having to make uh, play significant minutes. You do take a step back. I mean, that's, there's no discredit to them. I'm just giving all the credit to, to the starters and how amazing they are. So when you're having that happen on both sides of the ball um, in a season that has been so trying thus far uh it's it's tough and it speaks a lot to this team and this coaching staff that they've you know so far they're three and two things have not looked good um the bad loss to to nc state and the opening loss to georgia that really kind of knocked us off our our high horse is uh, at least fans you know the team has been able to to keep it together mentally and and weather through this storm yeah, they may not be undefeated, but um, the morale and the spirit still seems there. And I think that's a credit to all of them. Listen, at this point, they know who they are. We, they probably knew who they were before we did. And now we all know. And again, moving forward, we just want to see them put in the effort and continue to get better. They grinded it out in this BC game. The Valley was rocking. I love to see that. Love to see the crowd behind this team, even with two losses. Um, and we, we even got a mother effing in on the, uh, uh, the tiger rag instead of the, you know, the pause up. So, you know, not great for the, uh, the at home, uh, audience with the kids, but you know, at least there's some fire game. there. Yeah. It was a night game. There's some it's fire there. Well, a couple of comments. I want to ask you a question coming up too. <clears throat> um, we on this podcast do not approve of the pause up symbol. It is. Uh, derivative of Baylor and TCU, just kind of lame. Also, it evokes Spurs up, which is what South Carolina fans say, which is stupid. So we're anti-pause up. I should say, out of the same, out of the other side of my mouth, we want people to have fun at the game. If the kids want to do pause up and have fun with it. I, I guess I'm not that opposed to that. Like I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, old man yelling at cloud. That being said, I think it's been killed by Twitter or by just vitriol against it. So I'm kind of happy about that, but you know, find another way to channel, you know, your fun into something unique and novel and new. Don't just seal Baylor's thing. That's my only point. Yeah. Your comments, Ben. Don't be soft, you know? No, no. Yes. That we have not seen that since whatever game that was, was the South Carolina state game. Um, So good. Yeah. But I want to get back to injuries too. And we'll touch on this, move on in a minute. What like, I know you're not sitting here knowing everything about why that may be happening on the team where we may be seeing some more injury this year than others. I only question Ben, and I don't know if you put any validity into uh, strength and conditioning coach Botson having heart surgery, being out, largely not being that influential and involved in the strength and conditioning program in parts of the off season this year and leading into the, the beginning of the season. I'm so happy he was able to have a successful heart surgery and apparently come through that. And he was on the Larry Williams podcast, the Dubcast. I encourage everyone to tune into that. 
just to hear about what he's gone through in his career and with his surgery and everything else. Um, I just, I do wonder if you disrupt like his program, he's not there to run it. Like I'm not questioning the competency of those that are backing him up, but are you naturally going to see something change and that potentially impacts or play out in the injuries on the team? I don't think so. I mean, several years ago when we were facing some injury issues, everybody was like fire Batson. Like that's a, that is now a common like joke thing to say on, on message boards. And I think more so than anything this year, I mean, I don't know what happened to the guys in the preseason, but uh, Will Taylor is uh, an ACL injury, right? That was, it was a non-contact move. Those things happen. Uh, Will Shipley with his legs getting banged up as much as we run in him on the defensive side of the ball. It's just, those guys have had to be out there so much that it wears you down um, and that can lead to injuries. So I think it more has to do with the circumstances of the season. Some of it's just flukes um, like concussions happen, whatever that's, that's part of the game. So I, I don't think the strength and conditioning um, has as much to do with that because we didn't see it last year during the COVID season when they weren't allowed to be in the weight room um, and everything as much, and they weren't training as much. They were left to do everything at home and not with the, with the training staff. So we didn't see it last year. Then we kind of did with a few guys being injured, but I, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's a little bit more isolated case by case. And I don't want to use the phrase injury prone for someone like Tyler Davis. Um, but you know, it's individual thing, you know, and it's not rampant across the team. So with Davis this time, it wasn't with, you know, his, his legs, um, uh, yeah, it's a bicep. Yeah, he ripped the bicep and didn't even know it and kept playing. <laughs> so, I bet I mean, he knew. <laughs> I mean, no, he didn't even say anything. They didn't find out. He played the rest of the game. Uh, so, yes, the poor guy gets injured a lot. We lean on him heavily. Um, and he gets double teamed all the time. So, that's going to lead to that. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, this is just something you have to deal with. Some season, it hit some season, it, it hits you worse than others. And it just so happens that it's hitting us in the season where we're also not that very good um, as a football team as a whole, it, it, definitely not on the offensive side of the ball. So I think these things are just coincidence. Um, and again, kudos to the team for grinding this one out against Boston college. Um, you know, say what you yeah. will. They were four and four and O team. Uh, decent defense. They were going to have a much better offense if Djokovic was in there. I, I said to you guys, if Djokovic was in there, they would have won the game. Now, that was not taking into account that Clemson had all these injuries. Now, if everybody was at full force, I still think Clemson can win that game. Um, so, I don't know. I think it's coincidence. I think we blame it on that. And, you know, you just like, you know, Davo says, it's got to be the next man up. And, you know, the amount of men is getting smaller and smaller by the day, unfortunately. But they grinded out the victory and just got to hope, you know, they take this bye week. Uh, the guys heal up, the ones that can be back. I mean, you saw Skalski bounce back in this game after having to leave the one before with that shoulder injury. So, you know, they got heart. They got, you know, they want it. And I think us as a fan base, again, the panicking, the time for panicking is over. We need to look forward on this season. It is what it is at this point. Um, and we just got to cheer them on and, and just hope they continue to make incremental improvement as the season goes along. And just like seasons like 2017, where you saw a step back from certain aspects of the program and the team, this season, we are seeing talent emerge that has come from elevated recruiting, not just at the top levels and the five stars, but deeper down. 
that we're starting to see, even in a challenge season, guys emerge and guys start to make an impact on the team. And I think as much as we want to cheer them on to beat the rest of the schedule, I think we do have to celebrate the guys that are starting to make an impact and are going to be the future stars of this program. Because Ben, I, I, th- I think the big thing the rest of the season, as we do these shows every week, is going to be great. Let's see how we're doing against the 2021 goals. And like, you know, can we finish 10 and two compete for the Atlantic title, ACC title, blah, blah, blah. Like maybe we drop a game, whatever. For me, it's like, what are we going to expect for 2022 in that season? And who are, who are, who will be the starters, um, you know, at various positions on the field. And I think we're, I think we learned a good amount against BC about some of the guys that are already ready this year to make a big impact that we were kind of seeing as more horizon type players for 2022 or beyond. So um, this might be a good time for us to just let's full, focus full bore on the offense, because I think that is where there's actually some of the most interesting pieces coming to fruition. Obviously at this point, we know the defense is a top five defense in the country. You mentioned the defensive tackle guys that have been injured and will be injured. That's going to be a challenge, but the rest of the defense seems to be pick, stepping up in big ways to cover for that. So <clears throat> I think just as far as like the multi-season outlook, some of the most interesting, you know, storylines or narratives of the team are coming out of the offensive side. So um, why don't we start there as we break down this game a little bit further? So the Tigers, a little bit of a disappointing point total, 19 points, a number of trips into the scoring part of the field where you really expect teams to finish drives, Ben. We could talk a little bit about some of the factors for not pointing, putting up more points. There were center snap malfunctions. There were ridiculously terrible play calls, three plays in a row inside the five-yard line. There were drops um, by guys that have otherwise played a good season so far. All of those things resulted in field goals, not touchdowns. I'm not sitting here saying this game should have been a much higher scoring Clemson win, but there are just these like executional things that continue to nag this offense and not lead to points. And that makes Clemson look worse. Clemson, this is the first time we mentioned this. Number 25 Clemson dropped out of the rankings after beating an undefeated team. I think that's more of an indictment of Boston College than it is Clemson that you could be undefeated and someone beat you and then they drop out of the rankings or they like drop overall. Like that, that sucks. That's, that's embarrassing. Um, The the rankings at this point, like the difference between 25 and 26, I don't care. It's been so long since we've been there. We're out of the top 10. I'm like disillusioned with all of it. So the AP, the AP poll is preposterous outside of the top with five or six. And like, it eventually mirrors the playoff and blah, blah, blah. Like it really does not matter. It's just, it's, it's a thing people talk about, like how many, and again, we should all ignore them, but like a lot of fanfare was made about Clemson not being ranked for the first time since 2014. Um, I'm not saying I'm buying into that. I'm just saying it's interesting that we went down after beating an undefeated team. Nothing surprises me at this point um, with this team this year. So, but let's 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 do talk about that. I actually do think there were a lot of positives that, that came out of this game and a lot of them that are masked still somewhat by the issues we continue to see. But I tell you what, there was no offensive turnovers in this game. Uh, the penalties were greatly reduced, only six for 60 yards. Um, so that's a positive sign. We had several trips into the red zone, which we haven't really done this year. 
yeah, we ended up with field goals, but hell, at least we're getting closer. <laughs> you know, eventually those field goals start turning into to putting seven points on the board. So that's, that's and, the progress you want to see. Agreed. And you like the big, the big thing we're going to get to momentarily, I think is the offensive line play. That is the shining beacon of this game that we can build on as, as fans and as a football team. But I do want to call it for a minute, BT Potter, getting him involved, arguably a top two to three kicker in Clemson history, um, maybe based on sheer talent, potentially also on impact. Um, but getting BT Potter involved more, like if we're going to be playing these tight games, like that's got to happen. And he says he feels comfortable from like 54, 55 yards, Ben, his yep. career long is 52. Um, let's do it. Like if we're going to struggle to get deep into opponent's territory, like let's, let's let BT kick. Well, we mentioned this a couple episodes ago, I believe. And, and Quack and Tiger had mentioned this uh, in an article, I think after the Georgia tech game is that you just got to start taking those field goals, right? In years past, Clemson would, would, would not, not have settled for all the field goals that we saw in this game, but they just don't have the offense to execute at this point. And it's all about putting points on the board. Um, so, I mean, you just think if, if Clemson, uh, decides on two of those field goals to go for it instead of kicking them, then we got a 13 to 13 game if we don't make it right. And we're mm-hmm. looking at it over time. So I think that's absolutely the smart move with this office at this point, you got to take the field goals and, and just so much credit to BT Potter. I think he's an NFL caliber kicker. I've seen nothing but improvement over the years. He's got the leg for it and he's always been accurate uh, within like a certain distance. And now he's starting to pull that back and, you know, he's and he hit and I think he's got the, the character and the mental toughness to hit these kicks. So I have confidence in him. And I think you got to use that weapon um, when you're struggling in other aspects of the game. Agree fully. Um, before we get into the running game, which I think was the biggest week on week or season to date impact or change that we saw in this game that influenced the outcome and gave us all hope. Um, Let's take a minute to talk about the passing game, Ben. And DJ did not play a terrible game across the board. He definitely had moments of challenges um, with like there, there was one, maybe two sacks that you could, you could pin on DJ, not the offensive line. Um, But largely his 13 of 28, you know, completion to attempt rate. I would say a majority of that is based on, either uncalled pass interference plays that just took receivers out of the play or wide receiver drops. And I'm not saying GJ took a step forward in this game or proved to me that he's able to reach his ceiling this season. I I think we still need to see one to two games in a row of solid output from DJ where he cleans out some of his own mistakes. And in a way, like there's a, yes, drops happen, Ben, and you can put those on the receivers, but there's a little bit too putting your receivers in a position to make an easier catch that DJ is not quite yet figuring out. You could call some of that touch. The guy throws a hundred mile an hour heater most of the time. Um, But a lot of it is also positioning of the ball. And especially I've noticed in the screen game or, you know, just, you know, short out routes toward the boundary or toward the field side. Some of those are not, they may connect, but they don't necessarily leave the receiver in a position to get very many yards after the catch. So across the board, I just think like mechanically and um, from a, I don't know, just cohesion with his receiver standpoint, that is what I hope DJ spends the bye weeks working on. And well, he spent, s- he spent Saturday night working on it. 
Yeah. How much, how much of that do you think was staged? I kind of feel like it was a little bit staged. Like every outlet went out with that, like right away early on Saturday night. I don't, I mean, every, he was out there. Everybody wants to be like, you know, you see that and everybody just starts giving him crap. You know, they're, I don't know. I think that's kind of BS. I mean, the kid, the kid went out there and then like there's people message board students like, Oh, well, he didn't go out there with the receivers. What kind of leader is he? Well, can't, can he even go out with the receivers? That's considered practice. And you only get like 20 hours of practice time a week. So not sure that that would have been allowed. So like, just, just shut up. If you don't know what you're talking about, like we should. Um, or why is that on him to not be out there? Why is that on him that they're not out yeah, there? Yeah. But um, again, I don't even think it's allowed. I, I don't think under the rules that they're allowed. So I think it's a stupid point. Anyways. Right. Um, yeah. Listen, certainly a lot of things that DJ needs to improve on. He's not Trevor Lawrence. We'll keep driving this in. He is not Deshaun <laughs> Watson. He's got physical talent. He's lacking in areas of physical talent and his escapability and elusiveness. And then he's also uh, uh, lacking in his uh, mental talent for the game right now. It's still going fast for him. He didn't come in as prepared mentally for the game as, say, Deshaun or Trevor did. Or at least it took Deshaun a little while, but at least he had the legs that could get him out of a lot of tough situations. So you know, we got to stop comparing him to them. And then also, I like, yes, yes, DJ is not a, a fully polished quarterback, but the guys around him have not helped him at all. I counted at least five drops in this game. And let's say they catch four or five of those, then he's four, four or five of those, then he's 17 for 28 and probably 300 yards, you know, and we're feeling a hell of a lot better. So guys got to start catching the ball. Now, the things he does need to work on, his field vision is still poor. The touch is not great, as we've seen. That's what he was working on after the game, at least what it looked like, throwing kind of fade, fades into the end zone. Um, and, you know, that can that touch can come. Um, I don't I, I don't want fades unless we have a Mike Williams or a tight end. Well, that, let me let me let me put yeah. it to you this way. Um, and I know this from from experience, like my my limited athletic career. I do know this. I was a pitcher in baseball, right? And one of the hardest things for me to do as a pitcher was a throw to first base when I got a grounder back to me, and then sure. b also throwing like kind of slow toss batting practice. Like my my, I was so used to throwing it hard that when I had to come like get to like the soft or throwing softer. Like my arm just didn't want to do that. Um, like, well, it's, had, comma- it's about command, right? It's about accuracy. Right. And like you're, you focus on accuracy with a certain speed of throw when you slow it down. And I'm not saying like take five miles an hour off that pitch. It's like throw that football, like lofted in the air, but still hit this little basket window. And I think, I guess, and I think yeah. that's what he's still having to get a feel for. Um, he's, he's got a huge arm. So to have to wind it down like that, it, it's the fade routes. It's the, uh, the, the screen passes, right. That you mentioned. So, yeah. Um, or the, you know, the throws out into the flat, um, give him time. Like it, it's going to come. He played better in this game. Like his footwork has improved throughout this season. Like the first couple of games, it was like, what the hell? He looks like he's tap dancing back there with, with shoes on the wrong feet. Um, that looked better in this game. His decision-making still needs work in the RPO game, knowing when to pull it, when to run, or when to go with the pass. Um, but he had 12 uh, carries in this game, Ben. So maybe this is a good moment to credit Tony Elliott. Like 12 carries, 
Well, they that's started right. running him earlier, and that's something that is that has worked. And we could talk about our rushing in this game. I mean, 231 yards, 5.8 yards a rush. Nobody wants to talk about that, but that's good. That's really good for this team. Totally. Um, there's also yeah. uh, issues in play action of him not really committing to the fake of handing off the ball. His kind of fake tosses and stuff like that are developing too slow. Tiger Illustrated had a really good breakdown last Thursday um, uh, focusing on this. Um, about his 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 play action technique and how he's not selling it enough and not getting guys uh, you know defensive linemen or linebackers to 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 commit and bite down on that um, and so that's something he's going to continue to work on. The problem is is that it's all these things combined that compound themselves. But he did better job staying in the pocket in this game. Um, he was pulling the ball and running the better little by little. We just all need to be patient as he tries to put all the pieces of this puzzle together. And the people around him also have to start playing better. Yeah, that's a big factor. And I do want to kind of comment back on the drops that you like. I'm not looking at targeted versus re reception based plays here. And how many of those were like on target from DJ? I know those are advanced stats that are out there. Um, but even more than that, Ben, I just recall last year during the Notre Dame game specifically, do you remember the play where it was like a delayed handoff to ETN and that resulted in, it was like a miss, a misaligned handoff. DJ kind of put it too high on ETN resulted in a fumble. We were about to go in and score. Notre Dame took it the other way like that. I, I, I just, there's a couple of these little technique things that again, he's in his sixth game now, seventh game. Um, those sort of, those sort of things you hope to see improve still young, still developing. I agree with you. We should be a bit patient. I think it's good that we are seeing development and improvement in certain areas. Like that speaks hopefully to Brandon Streeter being effective and DJ being able to take guidance from him as his QB coach. Let's pivot it though, to talk about the guys around him, not, not picking him up, not, um, not making plays for him. How many, how much more would we have said DJ took a step forward? If Joan Gata pulls that ball down right at the goal line and scores a touchdown on that play rolls into the end zone, covers it. Um, Jalen Lay had a brutal drop. I forget what quarter. I think it was like probably the third quarter. Um, there were just a series of gaps by the receiving core that unfortunately, like ultimately made DJ look like a more ineffective quarterback or stalled drives right. once again. And like he takes almost the blame for that or the, you know, the lack of credit or lack of explosiveness as the guy. And um, I think it's a little bit more of a whole team failure, unfortunately. Yeah, I totally agree. Ross had a drop or one go through his hands. Latson had a drop. Bo Collins had one. It was a low throw, not a great throw. So we can kind of put that one on DJ. But Jalen Lay won and got ahead too. Yeah. He just, I mean, it, it, as well as Ngata has played this year. Um, and he has played well. He's made some great catches. Um, the kid is starting to look like a top-notch wide receiver. Um, but still some drop issues. I don't know when Frank Latson is ever going to put it all together. It was good to see EJ Williams out there getting some more balls uh, thrown his way. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, these guys just start, you just got to start catching the ball. We're not getting a lot out of our tight ends still. I mean, we mentioned Allen going down on this game and Galloway out with a concussion. Um, so the guys, yeah, guys need to help, just need to help them out. I mean, and the play calling needs to help them out too. There were still some like, bonehead moments where Tony Elliott gets stubborn and just keeps trying to run the ball up the middle. Now there was one series at the goal line where we had first and goal. And I think they ran 
Uh, that DJ, was after the Mafa run, the huge did. Mafa run, and then they yeah, and they go into that series. And yeah. then they they run DJ Mafa DJ. Dabo said that on both of the DJ runs and reviewing the tape, the line actually blocked well, and he just missed the lane, which mm. I can totally I can totally believe. And those are just we're just gonna have to be patient. He's not gonna pick. We know what the issues are. The question is. How long can he overcome them and improve? And how long is that going to take? It's not going to be overnight. It's just not going to be overnight. So pull for the kid. Keep watching for the improvement. And again, the, the other guys just need to play better. Their play calling has to get a little better. I mean, you start with the opening drive of the game. The first play, the misdirection to Ross, that was amazing. <laughs> like We were like, Tony Elliott! Like, yeah, yeah. do that. And, you know, we didn't see much else from that. But also on that opening drive on the on the – Third and one, uh, Ross and Ngata just look lost. Like, Ngata's trying to get Ross to the other side of the field. Justin's like, what are you doing? Looks over the sidelines. What is he doing? Ngata gets to the other side of the field, realizes Justin isn't there, looks over, he's like, what are you doing? Like, what the hell is that? You talk about being, you know, five games, four or five games into the season. Like, those guys should know, especially on the opening drive of the game, which is scripted most likely. Mm-hmm. Um so there's that. The like Braden Galloway still on the on fourth and one, uh, I think on that drive or one of the drives, he got blown up on a block yet again. Um so that's there's kind of a there's there's kind of a couple guys that I'm like they may have earned their roles over the course of multiple seasons, but the output this year has not been there. And it, for me it's Latson and Galloway that they're at least in Galloway's case there are guys behind him that can give you better or have proven to be able to do that. Dave Salen went out with a targeting call and like, uh, so sick of targeting. That one was I, real though. Yeah, no, no, no. Like by the rule. And it's, it's just unfortunate. I, I kind of feel like at this point, Clemson needs to spend part of a practice, just it's, educating, it's, reeducating, you know, it's one guy a game. Right. So at this point, and it's, it's, and a lot of times it's a consequential guy too. Like in this game, I think not having Davis Allen like mattered quite a bit. So, um, so in that case, again, I feel like there's guys behind Galloway that I would much rather see you get snaps at this point and sure cycle him in a little bit. If he can prove himself, he should, he, should, he can re-earn his spot. It's a little harder with Ladson. And the, the reason there is just lack of depth of talent on the wide receiver core um, unfortunately at that position, like certainly EJ Williams can back him up, but well, Bo Collins um, is getting a lot more playing time too. And, and that was the name I was going to mention is like Bo Collins is a hustle, like hustle guy out there uh, in the blocking game. And unfortunately, I know you mentioned the drop. It was kind of a low throw. There was also a, an incompletion on a target where it looked like he had eye pointed the ball. I think he was a little bit late on the jump and look, DJ will sail throw on you, but um, I, yeah, it's interesting to me that Bo and DJ have not had that just inherent core early on chemistry, knowing that they were high school teammates, um, through like play together for, I think it was three years of DJ's tenure. Um, Bo is like one year behind DJ, but, um, again, maybe they just need time in this offense to click together and find one another again, but I'm, I'm ready, Ben. I'm, I'm ready to, you know, get Bo Collins into the, or a Joe, Joe. Uh, maybe he was hurt a little bit in this game. I'm not sure, but um, let's try somebody out different at the boundary position. Um, Ngata showed a little bit of, I, 
can you explain to me, I, I may not have watched the, the game closely enough or the replay closely enough, why Ngata was so frustrated on that three run play in a row series. Like he came off the field really hot after that. Was it just that they didn't throw the ball or do you, do you remember? Yeah, the best I can tell is that at one point it was going to be a pass or there was an option for the pass and either DJ or Tony audibled it at the line or DJ just decided to, to pull it and run and got us probably like wide freaking open. Um, right. That would be my guess. Yeah, that's fair. And again, love the heart. Didn't love the two drops after that, especially the one that would have been a touchdown, but like all good. He got a coaching moment from Dabo on the sideline. Like very good to see Dabo getting into the receivers and Kobe pace. And that, that ultimately paid dividends. Um, but Dabo seems to be hands-on with this receiving core, which I think is needed. Um, look, Tyler Grisham is a green head is a green wide receiver position coach. And, um, we've not seen the right type of results thus far from a development and improvement standpoint. So, um, I think it's good that Dabo seems to be leaning in in that direction. We should probably move off the passing game. Then like that was the area that was lacking for this offense, the run game was a revelation in this game. And I think there was one move that the coaches made. They moved Hunter Rayburn into the center position and moved Bockhorst over to replace Putnam. Not sure exactly what injury Putnam has. You may know that. Um, but Tate hung out at left guard and then you had the tackles kind of doing their thing. But I think the upgrade from like, I, I personally view Bockhorst and Rayburn as almost equals at the center position maybe you give a slight edge to Rayburn because he's played that position before and he understands coverages and, you know, dynamics of snapping the ball, but the upgrade of Bockhorst over Putnam at right guard during this season to date in the running game was so night and day that I think this is the five. It's not the five we've been waiting for because I think that would probably entail Mason Trotter, maybe a little bit of Paul Teo. Those dudes are more talented than who we've run out there, but as far as what we've seen so far, like this is the five and look no further than those rushing yards per average per, per play or the overall yards in the game. Uh, DJ getting 12 runs off for 50 yards. Like that's pretty damn good for a quarterback. So I think for me, like that was the big adjustment the coaches made week coming into this game week over week that had huge impact on this game and kind of gives you hope for the rest of the season. Well, and it was it was kind of a forced adjust uh, adjustment since Putnam was out, and your option was leave Bach at center and and put Mason Trotter with his club hand at right guard, or you move Bach to his natural position at guard and put Hunter Rayburn in there. And I, I think yeah, that certainly paid dividends. Um, and again, not so much because of the center position; it's because you move Bach. Horse played so much better <clears throat> at guard. And so much better than any guard we've had play this year that it was an immediate improvement. Now I'll argue one of your points in that I don't think the answer is to remove Putnam and put Bach at right guard. I think the, the answer is to put Bark Bach at left guard in front of Tate and Teo and have Putnam back at right guard uh, when he gets back healthy for the Syracuse game. 
And yeah, I mean, you saw it in this game, a lot of our, a lot of our stuff like flowed to the right side, flowed to Bachworth's side. But if you can spread that out against the offensive line and be a little bit more effective on both sides of the ball, we saw it pay immediate dip- dividends. Like the line moved some people at times. Kobe Pace had a couple uh, really big runs. Every time Dabo yelled at him, he came, he came back and um, had a big run or a big pass catch. We had the, what, the run for 59 yards, the TD, and then a 33-yard uh, uh, catch and run. So I thought we saw, like, listen, and with attrition, with young guys in there, the offensive line was improved. That, I mean, that's, that's all I can say is they were definitely improved in this game. We saw more of a push in the running game. The stats don't lie. And part of that was, you know, we all freaked out when Will Shipley went down because we hadn't seen a ton out of Kobe Pace yet. But you start opening the kid some holes, and he looks a hell of a lot better. And then yeah. not only that – but Phil Moffa, <laughs> like if, if if you want to try to make the ACC championship game this year, that kid plays and doesn't redshirt. Yeah, he definitely shouldn't. And I, amazing. Like I think uh, I I thought he was actually kind of a bigger dude, like more stature than what where his specs are. Um, just based on some of the high school film we saw as him coming in as a recruit and. Clemson signing Mafa and, you know, just a man child beasting over, you know, high school kids on his film. Um, but in this game, he, I mean, you could, you could probably comment with a half thousand guys that he reminded you of, but for me, it was just, it was a different feel when Mafa got the ball and he just has a vision that I do. I, I do like what we saw out of Kobe pace. I think he's still developing. I think he could be a very interesting runner for Clemson. I, I just wonder, like, is Mafa the best running back on this team? And should we be kind of feeding him more of that? But Ben, I, like, why choose? Like, why not run the ball more overall if we can start to figure out some of this offensive line stuff? I'd have to take a look at some of the advanced stats to see, like, the run defenses of the ACC opponents we're going to face. But I'm cool with that being a solid one-two punch, mixing in a little DJ there. And this becomes a much more run-heavy team knowing that we're challenged and there's depth issues and all that at the receiver and tight end position. Like, I don't know, like this isn't going to look like the high flying TL uh, Sean Watson days necessarily, but it's a different makeup, different team, different environment. Um, I'm cool for a little bit more power run. Well, it's not that you can't have one without the other. It's that you need one for the other to work well. So the better we are starting to run the ball, that starts to open up, um, the passing game because they're going to have to commit more guys into the box and not be able to set eight guys back. So yeah, just listen, I Phil Moffa was exciting. He was new. The kid was quick. Uh, he turned up field quickly. He just attacked the line of scrimmage and just went forward. And that was a sight for sore eyes, but Kobe pace had some very tough runs, some goal line runs, some real huge effort plays. Um, that he kept pushing the pile on. Moffat did as well. You know, Moffat's just going to hit people when you're going to move three yards forward just automatically. Uh, but Kobe Pace did a lot of really great things too, I thought. And um, the, the funniest play uh, in the game, and he almost broke this uh, wide open, was there was a run like uh, off the off, uh, you know, left guard um, in, in, in like the A yeah. gap. Um, and and he gets into a pile, and then all of a sudden you see him pop out, and he almost made it. He trips and falls, right? 
And the defense was, was stacking the line of scrimmage. They, you know, playing the run. So he could have been gone uh, for a touchdown had he not fallen. I went back and looked at that replay. And what it is, Marcus Tate is in there pulling him through that pile and then spins him and throws him so hard out of the pile, he falls down. <laughs> so. <laughs> so essentially, like, Tate was literally trying to spring the runner out like, yeah, and he with threw his arms. Him. He threw him, not, threw him so hard, he threw him to yeah. the ground. Appreciate it. But Respect. I love the effort. I, I, yeah. I love the effort. Um, the you know, kid's a true freshman. He's going to, you know, he's trial by fire here. But um, can't question the effort on the team from these guys. And again, we want to focus on the areas improvement. We saw major improvement in the run game in this game. And I think we have to be happy about that. We should be happy about that because it's something that we haven't seen all this year. And that's without uh, your essentially your top two starters, Lynn J Dixon and Will Shipley. Absolutely agree, Ben. And you made a point earlier about like opposing defenses, dropping eight. We saw that against, um, Georgia Tech, NC State, you know, played kind of a similar similar coverage for this team and sort of dared the team to try to run the ball. Clemson couldn't do it. Now, if Clemson can do that, it changes the complexion of how teams defend you. And that is where you start to get one-on-one matchups or mismatches or separation for guys like Justin Ross, EJ Williams, Joseph Ngata, potentially some tight ends over the middle part of the field. Um, I think the middle part of the field still remains something where when Clemson does try it, it's effective. It's not as big a part of the offense as it should be. Uh, but the running game improving just opens that up that much more. So um, interest, I'm interested to see, like, go ahead, try out Will putting him there at, at right guard, move Bach to left guard, get Tate in there. I mean, I, I thought Tate was going to be brought in to be a left tackle of the future once J-Mac um, eventually graduates or gets drafted. So I let's get Tate in as much as possible. Um, T.O. probably should be a really first off the bench type of guard backup situation. Um, not really sure why he hasn't been as utilized the last two weeks, but that, again, like the, the run game improving, that has been the biggest call out you and I have had about the like sort of moves for this season that could be improved is making adjustments to the starters and to the guys getting playing time there. And that really, as a program, is the area that's getting the most criticism rightly that needs to improve. So really encouraging to see that here in just the fifth game of the season, considering the, the way the first four games played out. Yeah, and, and listen, this wasn't Georgia's defensive line. This wasn't an Alabama defensive line. It was a Boston College defensive line. But still, we didn't do this against Georgia Tech. We didn't do it against NC State. Once again, it's incremental improvement and in increments means is a little bit at a time, not, you know, all at once. So just be patient, Clemson fans, and it's going to continue to get better game by game, or at least it should. Now, what level is it going to get to? Don't know yet. We're going to have to let this play this season play out and see. But I can tell you this at the end of this season, if let's say we run the table and, you know, beat Wake Forest, that could be their only conference loss, uh, but we'd get the head-to-head matchup, right, and go to the ACC championship game, and then let's say we play a pit team um, in that game, our second matchup with them uh, for the season, and we handle them a lot better than we did in the regular season meeting. Um, 
Yeah. And then we go to a like Orange Bowl type playoff game or something like that, right? Being the the ACC championship and whomever we get matched up, like just if we beat them, period, you're going to head into next season feeling a, feeling a hell of a lot better um, about the, the the hopes and the the ceiling for next year than you do currently right now. So perspective matters and we're going to have to give it time through the end of the season. It's easy to, to sit here right now and say, based on what we've seen so far, project how they're going to be at the end of the year. But that's not fair because guys are going to get better. The team is going to improve. So just be patient. Let's watch that improvement. Is it, if it doesn't happen or if it doesn't happen to a level that, that we would expect or that's acceptable, then Dabo's going to have to make some hard decisions with the personnel and the coaching staff. Um, and I think he's probably going to have to do that either way, but give this team time to see that happen. Um, we're five games in, and we didn't start from a very high point. It's not like we fell, you know, it's, it's not like we had a hard fall after the Georgia game. I know we were ranked whatever, number two, number three in the country, but we weren't, we weren't that good. We shouldn't have started that high. Maybe shouldn't even have started in the top 25, apparently. But this team can climb back. They're, they're giving the effort. We're seeing the small signs of improvement. Um, now we just got to keep everybody healthy as, as best we can. The guys we have left. One thing I want to point out to you, Ben, just wrapping up this offensive performance for the team. First of all, I agree with everything you said about the stakes of the season and what you kind of look for and downsides and what Dabo is going to need to do one way or another on this. Something that I think also contributed to the 19 points from Clemson was field position. And in the first half, it seemed like Clemson was always starting their drives inside their own 10, inside their own 15. And for an offense like this, it does not have the explosive playmaking and the receiving position and is only now starting to get its sea legs together from a running game perspective. Like to sustain those 15, 16 play drives is just so difficult to do and almost impossible. So um, to see a lot of those results in punts or potentially field goals after, you know, 10 plays, seven plays, um, yeah, however many, like not that surprising when you do have a guy with, like BT Potter at the range that he does. I think what I'm interested in is seeing field position be a focus of the team and how to improve on that. Obviously it's how you stop the other offense and what, where you give them the ball when you fail and, you know, the job that Will Spires can do in special teams. But I think going after their punter, it's something we've talked about. And I guess, I guess we're fast forwarding this to special teams now, like that field position, those are hidden yards in this game that definitely swayed the advantage toward Boston college. And that is something I hope the coaching staff is looking at and figuring out ways to be it on the punt coverage team or, um, just thinking about field position is more of a game within the game because we've played so many close games this year. Like if that's going to continue to be the case, this, this is an aspect of the team that's going to matter more and more as much as you and I and Cody neglect talking about it. Yeah. Field position, baby. It matters when you have so much trouble moving the ball in the offense and, you know, thank goodness Will Spires has continued to improve and he's hitting some booming punts now. Um, and the other good thing is, too, is BT Potter has such a big leg. I mean, you know, a lot of college teams, you got to get past like the 30, inside the 30 for them to feel comfortable kicking a field goal. With BT Potter, um, you know what? You could be on the 40. That's a 57-yard field goal. He could hit that. 
Um, the accuracy obviously decreases, but he could hit that. So, yeah, it is a. I think it it it. it I'd, I'd rather more, we start it, in the third uh, the thirty than like the fifteen and have yeah. DT have to hit that kind of field goal. But like, if it's, if it's not happening, yes, it, it just becomes the the special teams become and field position becomes much more of a factor when you're struggling as much on offense. And before we wrap, wrap up the offense here, I, I do wanted to say one more thing. You know, everybody, a lot of people gave Dabo crap and, you know, we did as well with kind of some of his coach speak and always being like, well, we're like one or one or two plays away. And he's technically not wrong. Both losses this year, we're like one or two plays away from actually winning that game, those games. Now, that doesn't mean we'd be that any much better. <laughs> like when you oh, look yeah, we're at not Georgia, a natty contender if we happen to make two more plays yeah. and we're five and zero. But right? perception matters, right? So you do see five and zero. But look at Georgia. If we played Georgia now, they'd slaughter us. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't even be close. So, um, well, let's, but let's, we're still let's, a couple places. Let's play away. that out a little bit. Like, what? If, what if Clemson had beaten Georgia and like somehow we got the pick six, not them? Like. Obviously, the playoffs would not be out of the question. I, I, I kind of wonder, like, is there anything that would have happened within the team to elevate confidence, like elevate cohesion, coming away from that neutral site game with a win? Um, we'll never know. It's almost pointless to explore it. But, like, I, I don't think it would mask any – it would not turn around any of the core issues or the, you know, root no. cause issues for the problems. That's your point. I agree with you. It'd be interesting, though. Um, obviously I'd rather be in that position. Cause like, I hate losing to Georgia and like totally sucks to be eliminated from the playoff more or less this early on, but it, it, it happened. So we got a deal. Yeah. And like I said, sure. We're like two plays away from winning both the Georgia and NC state games does not make us a better football team. It makes us two plays better. Um, but the other thing that I was going to say too, is, He's also not wrong when he's saying it's like one or two guys per play doing something wrong. And that's, what's breaking down. Uh, you know, I've rewatched all of these games, um, all of them a little bit more closely other than the South Carolina state game. Um, and it really is. It's a guy missing a block here, a guy missing a, a, a block there, a guy dropping a ball or something like that that is hampering this offense. The problem is it happens every single play. It's a penalty. It's a drop pass. It's a missed block. Like they're all, you know, they're all culpable and it happens every single play. You can get away with that when it happens occasionally. Right. But it's not 11 guys on every single play screwing up. It is like one or two guys. The problem is it just happens on every single play. It they just shift it around, spread the wealth, so to speak. Then, you listen to the quotes. Does he follow that up with? And I need to fix that as the head coach of this team. Like, no, I'm curious. No, it no, sounds more I, like excuses. I, I and it, it may be true, but like, why is that happening? And what the f are you doing about it? I don't I know. That's where that. I. That's where uh, I land. And I, and I get all that criticism, and I think those <laughs> same things myself, especially right after the game <laughs> or during the game. Yep. yep. But. It, it really is just those one or two guys. And for me, that's a sign of, you know, in part, it's youth. Uh, some of it is, is definitely coaching and some of it's ability right now, specifically, you know, with, with DJ as he's 
learning to become a more polished quarterback. So again, yeah. it's, it's one, it is one or two guys. It's not every play well, 11 guys are just like doing something stupid, but it only takes one or two to disrupt it. Yeah. And I don't want to create this like false equivalency or false straw man or narrative that the 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016 teams were perfect. Like you probably still had two guys screwing up on every play in those eras. The difference is the quarterbacks were not screwed up at all and they were money. And then there would be elite receivers or an elite running back that was also not screwing up. It like it would the- be like inconsequential, less consequential guys not playing their role the right, quite the right way. And now it's a little bit more like, again, if the bar lowers a little bit, screw ups here and there just have a bigger impact. And there's no alpha offensive player on this football team. We can say it's Justin Ross, but it's really just, they all need like the talent combined is really good. They just all need to get on the same page and do the little things right. And again, you just want to want to see that improve. I mean, it did as far as the turnovers in this game, it did as far as the penalties, there were still some crucial penalties at crucial times, but it, it did. The third down conversions, terrible three of 14. Like that wasn't good. Um, there were yep. some coaching decisions like, or, or just offensive inabilities, the inability to take off time off the clock at the end of the game where we only like wasted 18 seconds uh, running off the clock. Um, I was trying why, to remember that actually kneel, real quick. Why we didn't kneel down with 13 seconds left in the first half. Like what, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> Don't we need to practice that play anyways? Yeah. Taking the ball, the ball under center. center. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That practice that handoff at least for that, uh, that connection. Um, I was trying to remember, I think it actually was the Notre Dame game last year. Like, I, I was like, okay, I know there was a game where we we're trying to ice it and run out the clock and ETN ran out of bounds and then all hell broke loose. I think it was the Notre Dame game in regular, in regulation last year, but I might be, I might be off on that. I, I don't remember. What did you, you say? don't remember? It, anyway, there was a. I was looking at my phone. What did you ask? There was a game in which Clemson was attempting to run the clock out. Play calling was terrible. ETN at one point ran the ball out of bounds when he should have stayed in bounds. Yep, yep. And, the, and then we had to punt it. And then the opposing team came down and scored. I think it was Notre Dame in the regular season last year. I think it happens every year, though. Like, that's, a, that's been a consistent problem. I feel like Clemson has had the, the clock management um, at the end of games. Like, we've, we've seen it. We've seen it before. I mean, luckily for for the most part, it hasn't come bite, uh, back to bite us in the butt. Well, but. do you even remember in the Deshaun era, like going down toward the end of the half, like they just didn't have play calls teed up. They didn't have yeah. anything like dialed up, aligned. Like we, there were points left on the table even back in that era. I know we all just remember, you know, the touchdown pass on Renfro for the most part. But like, no, there there's been issues with this for throughout. Fair to question signal caller in this case i think so and that's why all of this said i think tony Elliott does have a tougher job this year and that the guys aren't performing he doesn't have the talent or the experience to really open up the playbook but this isn't the first year where we've seen some of these issues right there's been consistent problems a lot of it masked by just superb talent on the field um don't have that this year so it gets exposed a little bit more becomes a little bit more visible um but we do have to give him some benefit of the doubt in that he just like, with, again, I, I mentioned that opening drive of the game where Ross and Nagata are just kind of running around lost and got his third year in the program. Um, 
Uh, yep. Ross is, you know, fourth, third on the field. Um, like those guys got to get that straight. So, uh, but still, we've seen consistent patterns of stuff like this. So I think everybody's on the offensive side of the ball at this point, everybody's job is, is in jeopardy. So. Yeah. I think net net for this offensive performance, this game, you tell me if you think differently, I do think Tony Elliott was able to slightly crack open the playbook a little bit more, try some interesting stuff because it was a more balanced attack because the running game worked out his designs led that rushing attack to spring open. Obviously the talent on the field helped in the O line. So there's a little bit of concept there that's being proven of, you know, if players can execute, if we can get the right offensive line protections in place, you can start to see more, this offense be a little bit more dynamic, but it was, I would love to have seen more of that. This is what I'm going to look for when the Syracuse game and the Louisville game happen is can they, can they get consistency with the O-line? And then what does Tony Elliott do to expand this offense's dynamicism? At this point, it's get better at the things you're not good at and build off the things you are su- successful at. So that's the game plan moving forward. We'll see. 100%. Last point I'll make. I think that, or my hope is in this immediate open date week, the one following it, which is going to be prep for Syracuse on a Friday night in upstate New York, get put DJ on the Clemson charter jet with his wide receivers. Like get those guys on the same page somehow do a mountain weekend together. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't care. That to me is the last piece to put together with this offense provided there's continued improvement with run blocking and the running backs. I feel good about that right now coming out of this game. Somehow DJ has got to connect to his wide receivers. I think you got, I think we touched on it last week. I think it's, it's been talked about. There wasn't really that summertime preseason like guys coming together as much as we had on the defensive side. So make it happen in season. Like this is the time to do that. If I'm Streeter, if I'm Grisham, like I'm trying to make that happen. I mean, if a, if a hiking trip is the answer to these problems, <laughs> then Dabo's not worth the money he's getting paid. So um, I don't know if that'll do it, but uh, well, improvement, well, consistent, consistent incremental improvement. That's what we need to see. I, I don't disagree with you, but like, why hasn't it happened to date? Like they got to try something new. I don't know. Cause I it's just, incremental. Maybe. Um, I, the easier thing that the thing that, you know, TigerNet or Reddit or Twitter would tell you is we have a very inexperienced wide receiver coach who can't teach the fundamentals and like DJ is frustrated. Justin Ross is frustrated. They can't get on the same page. Like, I don't know. There's, you could, I can't disagree with any of those points. Something's got to give to be able to get these guys in sync. And, and they're getting better game by game, I think. So I think, again, we started at a much lower position than we thought we were uh, at, at the time, at the first game of the year. That's part of the problem. Okay, you got to reset that bar and go from there. It's true. Yeah. No longer WRU, I don't think just yet till proven otherwise. So, uh, all right. A lot on the offense, obviously it's the focal point of the team. Probably the most interesting stuff's happening. Ben, why don't we flip it to the defense? 
there's two ways to look at this defensive performance, Ben. Another marquee match, marquee output, marquee performance from a very strong defense. Top five, really top three in any advanced stat metric you kind of look through um, in aggregate. 13 points to Boston College. Um, the other way you can look at this, though, Dracovic, Dracovic was injured. Boston College's running game was somewhat limited by the talent that they have. Zay Flowers is awesome, and he actually did an okay job in this game, creating separation. Um, and BC was able to kind of scheme open some guys and get some chunk plays. But ultimately, we kind of lost to a deep backup for Boston College. We almost lost to Boston College's backup. And that's not a Chase Bryce type of backup that they have either. Um, yeah, and we're, we're a few crucial penalties by Boston College and 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 miss passes fumble. and miss passes to wide open wide receivers and some some bad snaps uh, from losing this game by two scores, you know. So I mean, you got to give it. Right. Let's just start and give it to this defense. This defense battles, man. They've had to be on the field so much this year. Now they're suffering injuries right and left. You know, the guys we already talked about that weren't available in this game. Mario Goodrich wasn't available. Um, uh, Fred Davis was injured. So you had Sheridan Jones out there and he got picked on, you know, but the guys, the guys battled Trey Williams in there. That's a big boy. He plays hard. Edin Rubin, I mentioned him. He was getting a push. He was playing hard. They're not as talented as the guys that are pegged in ahead of, in front of them when they're healthy, but they're given the effort and they battled again in this game. They held Boston college. Doesn't matter how they got there, but they held them to 13 points you know, kudos to the crowd for making those some tough situations and crunch time with the, with the crowd noise. Um, and ultimately like the, the defense, again, they got tired at the end of the first half on, on BC's field goal drive. Um, then they took BC took the opening kickoff of the second half down for a TD, a touchdown, and they didn't score after that. Had a big stop after a block punt. Um, so you, you got to give credit. And again, it just goes back to the theme of, okay, this may not be the best, obviously, Clemson team that we've seen here in the past 10 years or whatever, um, uh, but they play hard. And that's what I like to see is the guy still putting out the effort and, and playing hard. The other stuff is coachable. Um, you can't teach effort, and this team has it. Other potential silver linings, like not as many dumb penalties up front in this game as we saw against NC State, uh, maybe – BC wasn't trying as hard to draw them off sides. I'm not sure. But yeah, the hustle factor is definitely there. And it, it just sucked that that defense had to go back out one last time after getting that crazy good stop on the series before we had a pathetic three down 18 second offensive performance, ultimately before, you know, the last series that resulted in a fumble. So the defense did more than enough to win this. They're averaging 16 points a game allowed against FBS opponents. I'm going to remove SC State from that. Um, it would be slightly lower if you did include SC State. But 16 a game, like, ought to win you most games if you are recruiting the type of offensive talent that Clemson is. With your two Already, monster defensive tackles, starting defensive tackles missing for this game, that was part of the problem in this game while BC was able to move the ball and find some success through the air a bit is that we weren't getting home to the quarterback as much. 
Um, the ends were still doing well. I mean, well, here are two reasons. Two reasons you have Tyler Davis and Brian Bersay missing the middle. Another reason is Miles Murphy gets held every damn play. And for years now, like I've almost kind of like blocked it out of my mind that ACC officials just do not call holding against Clemson's uh, on Clemson's defensive line. Uh, but this year I'm paying a lot more attention because it matters a hell of a lot more. And geez, I mean, come on, man. Uh, I think Tiger Illustrated had a funny comment that uh, Miles Murphy gets held more than a newborn baby or something like that. Um, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And these guys are just like grabbing him and throwing him to the ground, but he's still, you know, a huge disruptive factor. But in this game alone, we did see, um, you know, some issues of not having that, that same push in the middle, but what I love about this defense, um, you know, more so than the offense, is when you start getting into the two and three deep, you see a ton of talent. Like, you see the raw talent. You got guys like Barrett Carter out there getting significant minutes. Trey Simpson, obviously, um, second year in the program, has been putting in some good minutes. Uh, Andrew Makuba, can't speak enough about him. That kid's all over the place. Um, and, you know, I already mentioned a guy like Trey Williams. So, um, love to see all these young guys uh, get in there and just see the sheer talent and potential that they have. And it makes you really, really feel good about this defense moving forward. And this year, they've been carrying the team. Um, and that's even with the injuries. Um, and they're going to have to continue to do so, at least for the short term. So many guys got tackles and snaps in this game. It was interesting on the linebacking core to see Levante Bentley and Jeremiah Trotter not be as featured. But I think that's just Brent Venables kind of tinkering a little bit and playing to the matchup and really starting to get into the depth of his defense. So uh, also I thought, unfortunately, he didn't come down with um, the interception, but Tyler Venables was yeah. a little bit more involved from the safety position in this game than we've, we've seen thus far this season. This is not a nepotism type of a player that's in there because he's the coach's son. Like he he can contribute to a defense like this and whether it's one of the standard safety positions or he's playing like the nickel Sam position or uh, um, yeah, like this, the nickel corner position like that he is very talented and he does, he does make plays on the ball and tackles really well. So I, I think that like we continue to see despite those injuries up front, this defense can attack you multiple ways and kind of take your, take your strengths away. And it, it's, it's great to see. It just is unfortunate because I think that type of trait that they have could be something that could be advantageous playing against playoff caliber opponents. Like you say, Ben, that Georgia would annihilate us probably without Brze and Tyler Davis there, they would, but I just don't know how much they would actually put score and put up against Clemson where we at medium strength of, of know injuries yeah i mean that's your point is probably more on i'm also saying at this point georgia's gotten better and and clemson has had so much attrition on the the, in two very key positions on the defensive side of the balls and that's in part why i mentioned that and the offense just i still don't think the offense puts up more than three um maybe 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 we get 10 maybe we get six something like that i don't know um but, you know, you talk about Tyler Venables, too. Another, It's not about nepotism. The kid can play ball, you, especially with a short field like that, right? He doesn't have to run uh, stride for stride with, with four, four, two, four, four wide receivers. Um, 
mm-hmm. down the field, right? Four, four foot two at receivers. No, forty forty <laughs> yard dash time. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of Daniel Rodriguez's. Um, so, love Daniel. Got to meet him in person in uh, in New Orleans. Um, and so yeah, uh, just it, it's this defense is a lot of fun to watch, despite everything that's happening on the offensive the ball, offensive side of the ball. They're a lot of fun to watch. Um, Andrew Booth, man. Um, he makes amazing open field tackles. It was, you know, kind of seen out of him. I mentioned this before, what I wanted to see out of Darian Kendrick last year. Um, and how about that? <laughs> he was probably offsides, but maybe he wasn't when he tiptoed <laughs> in front of, uh, like, was it Murphy I Thomas think? or Murphy on that side? Yeah. Oh, that was incredible. That was incredible. And the refs totally effing sucked in this game, dude. But I, Maybe that should have been some type of neutral zone infraction or encroachment. Um, the way he stepped but, around him, though, like I kept watching that replay. I think, like, he, yeah. When the ball was snapped, he might have been in a position where to where he wasn't in the neutral zone. I mean, regardless of whether he was or wasn't, like what amazing athleticism and balance to make that happen. And I think it was Xavier Thomas because he got to the quarterback. Um, and Xavier oh, it Thomas, resulted in a sack. Yeah, yeah Xavier Thomas sure. didn't even yeah. like blink. <laughs> just went right for the quarterback. It was a great like distraction move. Like, um, so yeah, just you know, a couple of funny moments in the game between that and 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 well, you Mar- remember Marcus you- Tate trying to throw Kobe Pace for eighty yards to the end zone. There's a lot, to, lot to enjoy about this game. Uh, for me, just continued dominance of Xavier Thomas, and we'll see how good. BC's line is as the year progresses, all of that, but he has certainly shown he's back. He's playing his most consistent ball um, at, in his career at Clemson and super happy for him. And he was he's thinking about quitting last year. I mean, there, there are weird reports even like he, that he had transferred like early in the summer, the COVID summer, so to speak. I think that was as he was diagnosed and, um, to see him at this point of this season, and there's a lot to be proud about, happy about, a lot to be disappointed about. But um, for me, it's like he is yet another guy in that long line of defensive line talent at Clemson that's going to be playing on Sundays. And it's also just a story of a guy persevering through injury, COVID illness, a little bit personal maturity challenges, issues, maturity early, issues early and questions. Right, exactly. That, um, and just like circumstances around him coming to Clemson to begin with that like, you know, might, might change or elevate expectations too high for a guy like him. Like all that to see him succeed here is, feels great. It's why you love college football. But that said, like for, forget all that for a minute, just the dude's a beast. And yeah. if you, if you love defensive line play and like, you know, ends getting after the quarterback, all that, like, I think for Clemson fans, we got our first flavor of that. I mean, certainly over, over the years in the nineties, you could throw out some guys' names, but you know, Daquan Bowers and Vic Beasley were really the guys that um, were mashers up front or really just, you know, geniuses at making moves to get past tackles. And um, XT does it in his own way. It's a, it's a combination of, you know, finesse and athleticism and power, but um, I'm loving it so far. And I'm, and Miles Murphy is just right there too. Like he, Xavier Thomas might be the second best end on this team. Like oh, you could argue is. that, and I, yeah, you could argue that, and I believe you, Ben. I, I love what Xavier Thomas is doing, but like Murphy might be the best defensive lineman Clemson's ever had. 
uh, he, he's amazing. The kid's a beast. And to think he's only doing this in the second year and made a significant impact in his first year as well. Um, like the, the, we got him coming back next year too. Brisset's coming back next year. Um, uh-huh. This, this, the offense, we can question how it's going to look next year. The defense should still be really good. Um, that's actually, you know, as we were talking about the defense here, I was looking through the defensive stats for the game and I noticed um, this is kind of insult to injury. Maybe um, <laughs> Davis Allen actually got credited with the tackle on his targeting call. <laughs> All right, <laughs> like good, good times. Yeah, you got the got the stat, I guess. Yep, for what that's worth. Uh, did that happen in the first half? Right, so he's that happened in the first half. We've been fortunate yeah. this year. I think that all of our targetings have come in the first half of games. Yeah, still recall, stupid. I think still annoying. A lot of them were stupid. Well, how about the? How about the Xavier Thomas roughing the passer call? What the hell was that? He barely touched him. Yeah, that was preposterous. I mean, it's that he's so good at his job that they can't help but think that that's like a penalty by his play. I mean, you remember against Georgia Tech, he was flagged for, I guess, it, I think it might have been Trent Simpson, but like XT was right there, right in there on the play. There was like a targeting call that they wiped off the board. Um, it might have been Simpson. Simpson, I think, was later ejected for targeting. But, uh, yeah, Xavier Thomas, like, roughing or targeting, like, you just got to respect how this guy plays. The sound of the hits, you know? Some loud, yeah. impactful mm-hmm. hits when he gets, you know, a uh, 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 clear, clean look at somebody. So, I don't know, it's the, – the officiating is – in the ACC, at least, it's not great. It, it was super bad in this game. Um, and, like, look, like, as fun as that was to see Booth tiptoe that probably was a penalty there's I mean, so many that were not called is as much as i slowed down the tape and i kept going back and forth and i was like maybe maybe not it, <laughs> it doesn't matter if i'm bc bc's coach with halfley um i'm pissed too <laughs> yeah 100%. that was amazing i don't think any of us would have been like no totally not a penalty if it would have been flagged so um yeah so generally when you're then, in front of a defensive lineman you're probably in the neutral zone <laughs> yeah, because I don't think I don't think XT is leaving like a ton of room yeah. in front. Um, another thing I wanted to call in this game: another Nolan Turner interception. Yep, so awesome to see. RJ Mickens got another one too. Uh, Nolan Turner came away with the Banks McFadden helmet, which is awesome. I want one of those for my for myself. Um, RJ Mickens, great pick. Uh, proud of that guy. Like awesome contributions thus far. He was getting burned last year against Notre Dame, has stuck with it, and is making a name for himself. He still gets defense. burned occasionally, but um, he's got a nose for the ball. He's come up with a couple yeah. picks this year. So, again, it's all these young guys that I, I, I've loved seeing in there um, and continue to get better and improve. And, and it was K.J. Henry, see. right, that jumped on that ball, that fumble? K.J. Henry, yep. Yeah, so, like, awareness um, – I think Maskell was hurt in this game. Didn't play. I no, think no, he, he played. Oh, he did. Okay. I cool, saw cool. him in there. Yeah. Him, yeah. Uh, um, Justin Foster was in there. We rotate a lot of guys out early and often yeah. on the defensive line. Yeah, just no tackles from those guys, but good to, good to know Maskell played. Um, you, you know who plays all game? Skowski and Spectre. And you can't say enough about those two. Yeah. 
Warriors. Just hearts of tigers. <laughs> Lions? Lion Lionhearts? Well, I mean, it was so close. <laughs> I had to go with tigers. It's fair. I was going to say um, a big cat. It had to be tigers. Jungle cat. Tigers do have hearts. Um, yeah, so uh, like any any game, you hold an opponent to 13, you ought to win. We did. Thank goodness. A uh, little lucky down the stretch, though. And like, I don't know how much of that you put on the defense. Like, if most teams, if they score 20, you should still beat them. Um, and should Boston College have scored 20? I don't know that we necessarily gave them the ball back and situate from the offensive end or special teams end in a situation where it was giving them a huge advantage. I think there were moments where, like, give them credit. They schemed open tight ends and receivers, mostly in the second half, as I like rewatch the rewatch the game here um, where they were able to just pick apart, you know, aspects of Columbus's defense and get, get a guy open and move the chains. Um, so I guess I do want to give BC a little bit of offensive credit based on the talent that they had on the field, how much they were able to move it on us and keep the ball away from us. Um, but BC probably isn't, is going to end up with maybe the, maybe not 500, but, you know, they're a four and O team coming in a little bit of fool's gold there. I think they're gonna lose a few more games. I, I don't know that they should have been mentioned in the same breath as wake forest, who seems to be almost like the cream of the ACC Atlantic this year. We'll just have to see how that plays out. But um, my big question is like with Jeff Hafley, is he going to be able to, everyone talks about if BC can get over and get ahead and like have a really good season he's immediately going to be swooped up and hired away. Oh yeah. I just, I, and I believe that to be true. If they ball out and show it, I just am like, is he really going to be able to bring the right, like good enough talent to Chestnut Hill to be able to generate that kind of season and be able to get out of there? Um, He probably will, but, or people will be like, whatever. We still see him as a fundamentally good coach. Um, But it is something where I don't necessarily know that, like, again, it's, it's kind of like what talent is he working with, but um, Jeff Halfley has done a good job game planning against Clemson and scheming against Clemson. Um, last year's BC game, granted it was DJ. Like this year, granted there's challenges on the offensive side, but even going back to the 2019 Fiesta Bowl, he more or less eliminated T. Higgins and Justin Ross in the passing attack from that game. Clemson found a way to win. I've always tried to give Tony Elliott some credit for that for making the right pivots. But um, I think Halfley, like, I think he's just challenged right now at BC for not having the talent. It's not that, like, we should not be like, oh, your own three against Clemson in the last two years. Like, he he is, but it's not, it's not because he's not a good defensive coach. Yeah, Ellis, I'm not going to be able to break down Jeff Halfley's coaching trajectory based on what he's done at BC for, what, two years now? Um, but you got to respect him as a head coach. Um, and you know, yeah, I think he'll move his way up. I mean, if, if, if you're, you know, if you're worth your, um, you know, your weight as a coach, um, then you're not gonna stay at BC for very long. It's true. Like that, it's not a destination job unless they find a guy that has some type of tie there. Right. So if you're, above average like you might even do a tom o'brien and go to nc state like you might even move in the acc to a better situation um so yeah we're not this is not a podcast to break down 
the ACC's coaching movements. I just think uh, Clemson's played some fun games against BC over the years. This one wasn't, this was like medium fun to watch, I guess. Um, it's fun when they're pretty good. It, I just, I question, like, if this is what they looked like in year two, is he able to bring in the talent to make the third matchup? If he's still the coach there, like, any more exciting? Who knows? Um, but they're always going to be hamstrung and getting talent up there, no matter who the coach is. He's come close against Clemson two years in a row. So that's all I got to say. Yeah, probably more so than anybody else that has coached against us. So he didn't have to tra- play Trevor the last two years, though. That's fair. Um, all right. So any other notes about this Boston College game, Ben? Again, I think macro level. Our thesis is this was a step in the right direction from the offensive line in the running game. Saw a little bit more out of Tony Elliott's play calling that Freed plays up. Drive stalled, but I don't think that should take away from what we saw before that happened. If you're thinking about signs of improvement and the defense held it down despite having some injuries, few things, few executional things to clean up as, as a team. That is the kind of thing that in the past we've talked about by weeks I mean, these dudes might must be emotionally and physically exhausted after the opening of the season that we've had. So it's a well-timed bye week. Let's see if we come out and just obliterate Syracuse. Apparently their defense has improved and it's just Dino Babers on a Friday night in upstate New York. So um, again, let's see what, see what the coaching staff can do over this break. But we haven't um, had that one game yet this season that leaves you feeling really good. Um after some struggles right in the early part of the year. Now in years past, when that's happened, we might have a dud the next game, still win it, but have a dud. And you go back to feeling like, okay, maybe it's not fixed, but at least in that moment, after that one game, when we beat a team by like four scores, you're like, damn, maybe we are good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and this feels great no matter what, that's the feeling we're trying to live for, you know? And hopefully that's the Syracuse game and it'll make it that much sweeter that it's in Syracuse on a Friday night because screw them and screw the ACC. Yeah. It sucks that we continue to be scheduled for Friday night games. I'm well, sure Clemson's well, this like year, this year. We kind of deserve it. <laughs> it's true. We're kind of a Friday night, like <laughs> freak, freak show, side show type of affair this year. I'm pretty sure Clemson was like, do anything you want to us. We will never host a Friday game in Clemson. So, you know, double up our amount that you do in remote sites or on road games. Like we will never host that. I can see that happening. All right. Well, uh, 1913 Clemson, very good to get the third win of the season happened later than in most recent seasons to get run number three, but we're not complaining about it by week this week, Syracuse coming up and then, you know, getting really into meteor part of the ACC schedule. Um, ben, I guess in this bye week, you know, if you, if you think more macro level to college football, having Clemson on the outside of the college football playoff has at least for me a little bit dampened my flip around and watch the would be contenders. But I think for this year, like the best games have involved those contenders and there's been a lot of fluctuation and a lot of, obviously a lot of upsets of the top 25, it's super exciting. It just makes me kind of sad as a Clemson fan that it would not take the best team in the, in the country to establish yourself as a top four team, get into the playoff and feel like you can upset 
almost every team that's going to walk into there. And, and I will tell you this, that we're at least, you know, a week removed now of, you just need to get over that. Um, it yeah. is what it is. Enjoy college football season. We saw what happened last year when we didn't, you know, there was a big chunk of it that we didn't get a lot of uh, non-conference games. We didn't get to see this year has been a lot of fun. There's been a lot more parody, a lot of big name teams, including Clemson, you know, Clemson, Ohio state, uh, Oregon now going down and you're getting these new teams kind of ascend the Iowa's the Penn States. And it's, I've been enjoyed enjoying watching a lot of football and you know this weekend you know this is one of those weekends during the bye week where you just kind of get to sit back and watch some other teams play like i'm looking forward to the oklahoma texas game and texas hopefully beating oklahoma uh this weekend i'm uh georgia versus auburn like um, is georgia gonna continue to pummel even like you know good opponents um wake forest is playing at syracuse like what does that tell us? Wake five and zero, Syracuse three and two. If Wake goes in there and blows them out, and we go in there and lose or beat them by six points, then that tells us how we may, you know, stand up against Wake Forest, who is leading the ACC Atlantic at this point. Uh, and then Penn State and Iowa, I mentioned, squaring off this weekend. So wow. a lot of lot of fun football uh, to watch this weekend and a lot of interesting things. I, I know we're not looking at the schedule and the other games going on and seeing how the top 10 are doing to see how that's going to affect us as far as the playoffs are concerned, but we should be looking around the ACC and the ACC Atlantic and watching how those teams are doing because, uh, we need those guys to get some losses. If, if we stand a chance making it to the ACC championship championship game, that's like the playoff give up on the playoff that ain't happened. If it does, it's a miracle, but don't give up on this team in the ACC championship game. That's still going to mean something, especially this year. And that gives you so much motivation and a different outlook leading into next year uh, than we have right now. And it also means that this team has improved greatly from the first game of the year to the call it the 13th in the ACC championship game. Should we win that? Yeah. And the coast is wide open, man. So it may be a rematch, as you mentioned earlier. It could be Pitt again. could be North Carolina that he set out. Yeah, so I'm liking Pitt. Virginia Tech has come out of, like, nobody kind of expected that. Uh, Miami has just fallen flat on their face. North Carolina hasn't looked that good. So, um, and, and we're not talking about – this year we're not talking about a Pitt team on the other side or a Virginia Tech team that were like, yeah, they won the Coastal big deal. We're going to kick their ass. Uh, no, both those teams can beat us. <laughs> both those teams might beat us right now. And the same thing, NC State obviously beat us. Louisville can beat us. Boston College damn near beat us. I want to go back on something we said earlier. I don't think Florida State can beat us. No, no, no. Like, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think Florida State can beat us either. Um, I, would th- I, I think they're the one team in the ACC Atlantic that we would fare just fine against. And then on the coastal side – I would give you Duke and I only hesitate not to say Miami just because I still think they're more talented than they've shown. Um, But I mean, even Georgia tech, like we barely beat them. I can't confidently tell you that there's many teams in this ACC that we would definitely beat this year. So I know it sucks. I know it's not what we're used to and it's not the same level of talent and caliber of team that we're used to comparing ourselves to, but that's the hand we're dealt this year. And so we need to do that. And as fans, we need to get behind them and cheer them on to a hopeful 
uh, championship game appearance and potentially hoisting another trophy. Believe me, we didn't think so at first. Uh, when you head into the season, if you told us we would have missed out on the playoffs, we would have considered this um, a lost year, you know, a disappointing year. But if we raise that trophy in early December, we're all going to be pretty damn happy about it. I would say that's going to be like the third, maybe fourth most celebrated ACC trophy for us. The most celebrated one ever was the 2011 season, just as that was the first in the it, modern era. Right. Right. But at this um, point, it's not a bygone conclusion. Or no, totally. And like, yeah. And like 2015 was like, okay, we beat North Carolina. We staved them off. Now he gets to play for the playoff. Huge. 2016, it was like, we staved off Virginia tech and got to go back to the playoff and like actually fulfill the destiny. Um, I would put this season's trophy possibly above the feeling that we had after those, those natty season ones. I don't know. That's how, that's how important it would feel. It would yeah. just, it would, it obviously depends how, like if all, if all the other ACC, ACC teams, like, you know, just limp to the finish and like, you know, get a bunch of injuries and COVID and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, not as satisfying. But this team, this team would have gone through the most adversity to, I think, get there. Right. In, yeah. In yeah. Reason. I would agree with that. Um, so Anyway, like that's what we're paying attention to the rest of the way. It's gonna be exciting. Just don't, don't. I know the fun's in the winning, but don't let a couple losses take the joy out of this college football season. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing some guys on the field that are playing in a Clemson uniform for the last time, and you know we're gonna miss them. And we're seeing a lot of guys that are gonna be really great players for Clemson in the future. So. Just Lots to see. enjoy the things that, that you can hope for improvement, look for improvement, not saying fans be content with how things have turned out, be content with the coaching staff. Should this all go downhill or anything like that? I'm just saying, you know, like, like Davo would say, another Davoism control the things you can control, right. And you can control um, how emotional and how torn up and how whatever the uh, uh, seeing Clemson, not be a powerhouse for a year makes you feel, you know? Yeah. Bigger, bigger things in life. Yep. I say this as an old man talking about 20 year old kids on a podcast. Very few people listen to. (laughs) We appreciate all the listens. Uh, Tough friend. So Ben, um, do you want to comment at all on any of the any of the press stuff or any of the media comments that have come out after the game regarding things like transfer portal or um, you know changing of ways, anything like that from Dabo? I think we've we've largely addressed our feelings on the more macro improvements and program level stuff that we're hoping to see in the off season. Some stuff's come out. I don't think any of it is a surprise about Dabo's media facing stance on any of this stuff but just wanted to see if you had any specific thoughts you wanted to touch on here he's run out of excuses for saying why he's not going to use the transfer portal i mean we're not going to change for change change to change no one's asking you to change just to like be adapt to it could be conformist exactly well it's adapt but the way i look at it is like turn it into an opportunity. And I feel like that's like 
what Dabo does with things. So um, with a coaching change, with a portal acceptance and a, the first portal move Clemson makes, like Dabo is going to need to do it his way. So that's why my mind moves the ways that it could be done Dabo's way just to like get him over the hump. And then I think he would probably embrace it. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see who the first Clemson portal take will ever be. I'm guessing it's probably a player that was real close to signing with Clemson that did not made a mistake or feels like they made a mistake. Is trying to come back in. Better be an off. My only lineman. My, yeah. My only hope is that's like a center, or like <laughs> a left tackle to place J replace J Mac. I think Ryan Lincecum is going to be our answer at center here. Um, uh, not this year, but maybe next year, year after that, um, hopefully next year. Um, but yeah, an offensive lineman. That's a, that's a good question. Who would it be? You know, it's probably not going to be some like superstar from a nine and three, eight and four team who, you know, is going to be, you know, decent, pretty good every year, but probably doesn't have a decent chance of making the playoffs. I think it's more likely going to be uh, well, it's, some guy. Who, well, it's like, it's like an Illinois left guard or it's like a, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's like a middling Big Ten or ACC or even SEC team like Mizzou. It's going to be where... the Hunter Renfro of the portal. That's what he's looking for. Speaking yeah. of Hunter Renfro, screw the portal. <laughs> like, we don't need to talk about this anymore. We've talked about it to death. Nobody wants to hear about it. Hunter Renfro, man, what a tackle. Oh, man. It's oh, like man. I fall more in love every time I see him. You know what I'm saying, man? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, that, that, that you know, that, that got me excited. I, I felt like Urban Meyer at his bar on uh <laughs> oh yeah whatever night that was <laughs> yep no i mean the what a great hit most the most incredible thing wasn't even the hit it was that he the anticipation sniffed, sniffed yeah. that out before the snap was already moving in that direction like he was the punt returner if he had sniffed that wrong like it's a it's a field position disaster and like they lost the game they got their ass kicked but that is a career that is a canton highlight real play in a guy that in the nfl he's starting to build a repertoire for that like you see some of these routes he's run to get open um i just i couldn't be more more excited happy for the guy like more more in love with hunter renfro it's when hunter does something that even shocks us as clemson fans like i was watching that game i was watching i was like ah crap fake punt and then hunter just comes out nowhere (laughs) and just pops the guy and knocks the ball loose and you realize that's him and you're like of course it's him yep (laughs) hunter would do something like that i i just can't wait to uh i'm sure brent venables is going to comment on the form on the tackle um as well that was pretty good form um you know what you know what was a lot of fun though it was um you know, being able to watch Hunter on the field, Mike Williams on the field for the Chargers, uh, John Simpson getting the start. Unfortunately, Trayvon wasn't out there. He was hurt. Um, so he couldn't, you know, defend Mike Williams. Um, and then, you know, Clee hasn't been starting this year, but he's still playing. Um, just cool to see those Clemson guys out there in the NFL playing against each other too. Um, I just wish we'd uh, get Sean back out there. Might happen. Miami's getting desperate. We will see. Um, all right, Ben. Good show. Good recap. I, I, 
I will say this. We've had some inquiries about doing some interviews coming up later on in the bye weeks. So TBD, if that happens, we'd love to love to get one or two of those to everybody. Um, if we do not, I think the podcast might take a break a week from oh, now, yeah. barring any oh, yeah. barring any breaking news. Like we need a bye week too. You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, Ben, like this has been good. This part of the season, you know, been cha- been a challenging year. It's kind of tough to come on here and every week manufacture something new to be optimistic about or talk through. We appreciate people sticking with us. Um, I'll, I'm look- I'll, I'll say yeah, this, Tully. The season up at the, up until this point, you know, nearly the halfway point, five games in, has not been what we expected. But the best thing that we can hope for is that this second half back in last seven games of the year is also not what we expect because we don't expect it to get much better or, you know, kind of stay the same. Right. But what we don't expect is for this team to start taking off, start beating teams like we would expect them to and end up, you know, with some championship trophy, um, whether it be a Atlantic division championship or an ACC championship, but let's hope for the unexpected this second half. It didn't work out for us the first half. Let's hope for it for the second half. And I'm going to say this now. I think I'm going to be, let's say it does click. Let's say it does happen. I'm going to choose right now to say that I will embrace it and celebrate it versus lamenting that it took them so damn long to figure it out. Like, can we all do that? I think that it is what it is at this point. Like, yeah. Unfortunately, it took time for this team to click. We all would have loved it to figure that out in July and August. They didn't. It is what it is. Let's move on. Yep. All right. Well, we will be back to you soon, potentially with an interesting interview or two. Um, Looking into that. Uh, Barring that, we will be back after the Syracuse game. That was a Friday night game. Everyone's plan your lives accordingly to that. Be able to catch that live. Um, So Friday night in a couple weeks, baseball playoffs are going on. Um, So a lot of people are drawn to those kind of things. But college football, October is just such a great sports month. This is really when conference play starts to ramp up. Um, You start to see a lot of upsets, that kind of thing in college football. So I think all of us want to see Snow Globe shaken a little bit, see some more upsets, see some more chaos, probably get some new blood into the playoff. But, man, Ben, things could still break right the right way for the Tigers. It's not... You know, give up all hope for this, but um, it's called one fans. analogy. Hey, go ahead. One analogy for our folks, baseball fans from the South. The Braves came into this season with high expectations and they stunk it up the first half. Absolutely terrible. Shake it up a little bit in the second half, get some new guys in there, shift some things around, and now look at them. And that's with losing Ronald Acuna best hitter on the team, possibly the best hitter in baseball, losing Mike Soroka or not getting him back, the best pitcher on the team. And look at them now, still in the playoffs. It can happen to Clemson too. Probably won't, probably won't, probably won't because, you know, Anthopolis went into the portal and brought some guys in, but Mm. it was allowed to do that midseason. But hey, it's (laughs) happened before. It's happened before. All right. I I appreciate the passion and optimism, Ben, for your, your baseball team. Um, Good with that I want to thank everyone for tuning in sticking with the podcast really fun to do these shows even in this, this type of season again this is continuation of therapy so we hope you guys uh, our listeners you know, continue to enjoy the show please give us feedback we love those, love those reviews 
Ben, I insist the next time we do a podcast, you got to bring back some mean tweets or some mean reviews. Um, people, get your get your interesting reviews in now. Maybe you could be read on a future po- podcast episode. Uh, we're also inclined to read five-star review comments as well. So bear that in mind. That may increase your odds of getting read on the air. Um, anything else to add, Ben, before we wrap it? Yeah, just no no reviews for Cody will we read unless they're one stars. But yeah, it sounds about right. Who? Cody hasn't been on the show forever. Everyone forgets his voice. Cody, please come back. Um, let's wrap it up there, everyone. And as always, go Tigers. All right, let's get going with this pod. Oh, let me pull up the Urban Meyer jokes. All right. I guess I'm going to tell four, huh? I might not do the hand in the dirt one. Yeah, just do three. Three is a good number. Okay, three's All right. So I'm not going to do come from behind. What you're if I do this? You're not going to do come okay. from behind. You have okay. to come from behind. You drop the tight ends one and go with chicken fingers. Jags grind one out. Urban demonstrates how to come from behind. <laughs>